For the rest of you that are staying here in with me, um, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We are taking the time to walk through the, a series uh, of uh, sermons on the book of Philippians, this powerful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi during his time of being imprisoned in Rome, not knowing for sure whether he was going to live or die, but yet knowing that uh, um, it didn't matter, for he knew that his life was Christ and Christ was his life, and, and that's what mattered most. His eternity wasn't going to begin when he died. His eternity began when he asked Jesus into his life. We talked about that in our Sunday school class this morning. And if you got your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, and I have to be honest, I almost jumped into chapter 2 and was just going to kind of skip these last few verses, but I said, well, I'll go ahead and, and begin studying them and see what's in there. And boy, I am so glad that I did not just jump over these verses. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, the last few verses that are found here are powerful in that they talk about a church that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, I'm going to pull that yo-yo string and ask you to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Stand with me. For those that don't have your Bible with you, it is on the screen for you, for those that are at home and others. But uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that rather I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is in them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given into the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conviction which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Father, we ask that you would take the reading of your word, the hearing of your word. And now, Father, would you move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross as we do the preaching of your word. And Lord, let the message of Christ be heard today about the power of, of the church in the gospel. So Lord, lead God and direct us, we pray, as we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So what does it mean to live worthy of the gospel? Now we have to be careful here because part of the gospel message is the fact that the message says that none of us are worthy of the gospel. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's God's favor upon us by His grace. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned against God and, and we're all deserving of punishment. And that punishment is none other than an eternity separated from God in a place called hell that He has made for the devil and His angels and all who reject Him. But yet the good news of the gospel is that God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Not just to live in this world, but to live in this world as an example unto us and to die for us so that He could atone for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. The gospel is all about God's grace and grace has nothing to do with whether or not you or I are worthy of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. 
We're not worthy to receive God's salvation, but God gives us salvation as a free gift. We read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 reminds us that we're all sinners, but yet don't worry about it. God is taking care of your sin, but all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Him. So when we walk and talk about living worthy of the gospel, we're not talking about living in such a way that we earn the benefits of the gospel. Rather, we're talking about living in such a way that we reflect the reality that God has already forgiven us in Christ. And if we are in Christ, God has forgiven our sins and, he is, uh, and we have become adopted family members. We are children of God. He's given to us not only the Holy Spirit to no longer just to dwell among us, but He lives within us. He's given us the Word of God and the Holy Spirit so that He can guide us each and every day. We've been given these amazing gifts of God so that, that we should be able to live a life that is different from the life of this world. You and I cannot live worthy to receive the gospel. Rather, we should live worthy of the gospel which we have received. Only Jesus and the gospel is big enough to stake our entire life on. And that's what Paul the Apostle is writing to the church of Philippi. He wants the Philippian believers to stand strong. He wants them to stand firmly upon the rock of Jesus Christ that will never be moved. And he reminds them, never leave. Never move from that place. Showing the world just how big the gospel really is. Of course, we live in a world where that's not easy at all. As a matter of fact, we live in a world that is, that is anything but kind to the gospel. Anything but loving towards the gospel. Of course, we live in a world where, where the world opposes everything of Christ. And when opposition and persecution and suffering confront us as it did the Philippian believers, it's going to take courage to keep the gospel the center of our life. A gospel-centered church needs a gospel-centered courage. We need a gospel-centered Christ. He needs to be the center of our life and everything that we do, everything that we are. We need to live for Him, but how do we do that? I want to take these three verses and share with you a few things that I found as I was studying the Word of God on how that we as a church can stand against those who oppose us, as we as a church can live for our future and not just for today. First, by recognizing in verse 27, a courageous church stands together as citizens of heaven. Listen, I understand that we are not there yet, but listen, my friends, we are more a citizen of heaven than we are a citizen of this world. We need to live as if we are already there because our eternity doesn't start when we get there. It started the moment that we received Jesus Christ as Savior. Now look at what it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Consider the word only at the beginning. As Paul said in the jail cell, writing to the Philippian believers, he thought, you know, I might not make it out of here. If I don't, what must they know about their life? 
What must they know about how to live out their life for Christ? He said, this is what he wanted them to know. Whatever becomes of me or you, here's the one thing that matters. The Apostle Paul says, live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? First of all, he reminds them to determine to live for Christ. Listen, my friends, you don't live for Christ by accident. It is not an accidental relationship. It is a relationship of purpose and, and, and deliberateness. We must determine in our heart that we're going to get up and we're going to live for Christ today. If not, we're going to live for flesh. We're going to live for the world. There are two important principles here that we can learn from this verse. First of all, we need to determine to live for Christ no matter what happens in our life. And I know that, that death and destruction and, and, and misery and, and, and sorrow and, and, and conflict and all of these things are evident in our lives every day. I hear it. I hear it because I listen to you. I, I talk to you all. I know that it's not just what I'm going through in life. I hear what you're going through in life. And I see that there is conflict and there is trouble and there are pressures and there are needs all around us. But listen, my friends. We must determine to live for Christ no matter what condition this world or our life ends up being in right now. The phrase, becometh the gospel of Christ, is saying to us, Christ and the gospel must come first. You may take this and um, apply it in several ways. You may say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be here long. I'm taking a job and I'm going here and I'm going there or I'm going out to school and I won't be here anymore. It really doesn't matter if you're here or if you're there or if where you are. The, the, the fact is that no matter where you are, Paul says only, 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 the only thing that matters is wherever you are, live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God gives us a lot of freedoms in this world. He gives us a lot of latitude to make decisions in this world, to make choices. You, you can choose where you want to live. You can choose where you want to uh, go to school. You can choose who you want to marry. You can choose what church you want to attend. But what he says we cannot choose and should not choose is not to live for Christ. We ought to always choose to live for Christ no matter what our circumstances. We need to put Christ in the gospel first. Determined to live for Christ no matter what happens or no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Those words, your conversation, are literally translated into what means to live as a good citizen. You see, the conversation was that of, of citizenship, to discharge your duties as a good citizen. The Philippians, the, uh, the church of Philippi was in a Roman providence. They were a Roman colony. So they had all the privileges of Roman citizens and all the benefits that came with it. Now Paul is reminding him because also remember Paul himself at one point had to claim Roman citizen to keep from being beaten. <laughs> he understood what it, 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 it gives you certain freedoms and so there's a time to use it. But then he says, listen, there's a time that we need to recognize that we can't use our citizenship of this world to circumvent our citizenship of that world. We must live for Christ. 
So Paul's reminding them of the amazing benefits of citizenship, not in the Roman Empire, but in the kingdom of God and all the benefits that we have in Christ. God has given us so much more than just the gospel. He's given us the promise in John chapter 10 of a full life, an abundant life, a life filled with a relationship with Christ, a life filled with walking hand in hand. We sang about it this morning. You sang about it. We didn't, the choir didn't sing it for you. You sang it. Just a closer walk with thee. I hope you meant it. Because that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Just let's take a closer walk with thee. The second truth that we find is we can trust God at all times. I want you to understand that, that no matter what your circumstances are, you can trust God in it. Sandy, you can trust God. He's going to see you and your family through. I promise you, He never, ever lets us down. The second principle that we learn from this verse is trust God in the good times and even in the bad times. Paul didn't know whether he was going to be executed or released. He didn't know if this was his last hurrah or just another one. But he was determined to live for Christ. Remember the words that he said just a few verses ago? According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be manifested in my body, rather by life or by death. And then Paul said, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. So whatever it is, whatever my circumstance, I trust the Lord. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that no matter what I'm saying, what I'm feeling, what I'm facing, I trust the Lord? Paul found himself in a tough position for no doubt, but it did not affect his relationship with God. He still trusted the Lord. He had learned to trust God in the good times and in the bad times. Listen, if all we ever have are good times, are we ever really going to learn how to trust the Lord? No. If we don't go through the valleys of this life, we will never know how to hang on to Him when things get turbulent. It's the storms of life that make us more resilient and, and, and able to hang on. I don't know if you've ever taken a, a, a rafting trip down rapids. Um, if not... No matter what your age, you ought to do that one day because it's going to teach you how to hold on. <laughs> and that's what life is. It's like a rafting trip down the rapids. We've got to learn to hold on to Jesus. Hold on. Hang on. It's okay. He will see you through. At the end of the rapids, it's always the calm. You see, the, the pleasure of knowing Christ is that no matter how rough life gets, we got a hand to hold on to. Paul was living worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it was developing in him a whatever happens attitude. He said, whatever happens in life, I trust my God. I, I, I know he's got me. Christians, if we as a church are going to be able to stand the times that are coming, and trust me, the times are coming when the church is going to see turbulent times. This war across the, the, the globe is only the beginning of what's coming. And we, the church, must be ready to hang on to Jesus. We must trust Him no matter what happens. No matter who comes against us, greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. And Paul knew that. So church, we must have a whatever happens attitude. Determined to live for Christ no matter what happens. Determined to trust Christ no matter what happens. 
The second thing that we learn in verse 27 is a courageous church strives together for the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. Look again, if you would, at verse 27 in the latter part of it, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's always talking about this partnership, this working together, this cohesion. Listen, church, we're not a bunch of people just sitting in a building. We're not a bunch of people uh, doing our own thing. We are a church. We're a family. We're together. We need to stick together. We need to stand together. We need to hold on together. A cord of three is strong. You, me, and the Holy Spirit, and we got it covered, folks. You see, the Bible tells us that Paul says, listen, stand strong in the gospel. It's clear that just as Paul was facing persecutions for his faith in prison, so the Philippians were facing persecution of faith in Philippi. It's not easy living a life worthy of the gospel. When you start talking and taking a stand for Christ and the gospel, let me tell you, my friends, your life will face opposition. Ron and I were talking earlier about the fact that Satan never attacks a useless shell. He only attacks that which is doing something for Christ. You see, whenever we stand up as a church and whenever we proclaim the gospel, whenever we begin to say, we're going to go out and reach our community, we're going to go out and win the lost, we're going to bring them to worshiping Jesus, I'll tell you, the devil's going to come after us full force. But greater is he that is in us he that is in the world. It's not easy to stand, but we can stand. When the church takes a stand for Christ and the gospel, the church is going to face opposition. The enemy attacks, hoping that we will back off the gospel and we'll fade off into the background. The church has done that far too long. It's time for us to stand up and march on. Our sign out there, Eric and I were trying to figure out what we'd put up for March and and we were looking and scouring to see what we come up with, and we found a great one. March in a sinner, march out a saint. Listen, my friends, it's time for the church to get on the march. It's time for us to stand together. We're an army. We're not just an individual. We're an army for Christ. And we can stand together for Him. Yes, will the enemy attack us? Absolutely. But I tell you, we have strength in numbers. And our number is... Three. You and me and our Lord Jesus. That's all we need. Paul's instructed us in a couple of things that we need to know as we face opposition for Christ. First of all, he reminds us that we can stand strong and firm together in the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad to know that God didn't just put us into this fight without giving us backup? The Holy Spirit of God is our backup. He is our strength. We stand firm together because we stand in one spirit, the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, whether I come and see you or rather I am absent, I want to hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. Now, several translations I noticed write the, the word spirit here in, in lowercase as if it's some other spirit, but I believe wholeheartedly it's talking about the one and only Holy Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that, that, that pulls us together. It is the Spirit of God that holds us together. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here. 
And, and, and the book of Acts, we're reminded in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when, when the disciples were scattered and, and frightened and, and wondering what life was going to have. Here's what the, the, the book of Acts says to us in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and you then will be my witnesses no matter what happens. No matter what comes against you, when the Holy Spirit is in you and with you, you will have the power to be a witness for Christ. We can face opposition, but we can never face it on our own. On our own we'll crumble, but together with Him we will stand strong. I'm glad that God didn't throw us out there and say, see what you can do, but He gave us the Holy Spirit to stand with us. We have supernatural help the Holy Spirit that helps us to stand firm in Christ. The second thing we find is that we're to work together as a team for the gospel. Listen, I want you to understand there's no I in team. You see, it's not all about I. It's about team. It's about us. It's about you and I working together. It's about you and I coming up with a plan and a goal. And our theme for this year, unfortunately, I didn't get to reveal it to the, the deacons as I planned last Saturday night, but, but I'm going to reveal it to you in the coming weeks and to share with you that, that our theme for this year is a threefold plan. We're going to rebuild and we're going to you know, restore and renew those things that we need. But we're not going to do it on our own. We're going to do it together. It's a team. It's a team effort. It's something that you and I have to see that God wants us to do with Him. And we're going to do it as a church. We're going to do it as a family. We're going to do it as children of God. So Paul first instructs us to stand firm because we have the Holy Spirit holding us together. And then he tells us that we're to work together as a team for the gospel. Paul describes it this way, as with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul encourages the Philippian churches as he does us to work together as a team, to strive together side by side. It's a picture of an athletic team on the field of, or of contest <clears throat> or a company of soldiers on the field of battle. So first of all, let's think about an athlete. Scott, I, I remember coming to several of your games and watching you coach. and I remember watching your, your teams come out, and, and, and they didn't come out going, I don't know if we can do this. I'm just not sure. Scott had them coming up. You go out there with power. You go out there with might. You go out there with courage. You go out there with confidence. You want to show the other team. We're not afraid of you. We're glad to be here. We've come to win, not just to play. You see, an athletic team doesn't come out on the field showing that they're scared. If they do, they're going to lose. They come out saying, we're a team. We're working together. We're as one. If a team is splintered and divided and full of internal conflict, they'll never succeed in playing in the playing field. They'll fall apart. If they don't play as a team, they'll never win. Paul says that we need to work together as like a well-trained army. Think of a company of soldiers fighting side by side, soldiers shoulder to shoulder, staying informed, staying in formation, and, and advancing against the enemy as one person. This is not just unity, but it's unity with a purpose. It's to win the battle. 
It's not just a matter of surviving. It's a matter of victory. Paul says our purpose as a church is the faith of the gospel. We contend as one man for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to take the message not just to our families, not just to our neighbors, but we want to take the, the gospel to all the ends of the world. But we've got to begin first with our family. We've got to begin first with our neighbors and our community. We've got to work together to get beyond our borders if we want to take the gospel around the world. The problem with the Philippians, as we will see in the coming chapters, is that instead of fighting together, they were fighting against one another. And listen, we can never survive if we're fighting each other instead of our enemy. Paul says, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in the Holy Spirit and work together as a team for the gospel. The third thing that I want you to see that I found is found in verses 28 through 30. A courageous church suffers together for the sake of Christ. Now you say, boy, preacher, you were doing great up until this point. Now I'm done. I'm out. I didn't sign up for the suffering part. I, found, I signed up for heaven. I signed up for all the good things. I signed up for, you know, a full life, a better life, a rich life. I signed up for, preacher, if you want my attention, you've got to start talking about, you know, prosperity and success. And listen, my friends, without a little suffering, none of those things are worth anything. The glory of heaven comes because we know that we had to suffer a little bit in this world. That's what makes glory, glory. You see, we've got to get off of the devil's kick and get on to understanding what God has to say. A courageous church suffers because it's suffering for the sake of Christ. Soldiers standing firm, a football team advancing the ball will get beat up along the way. They'll suffer losses. That's just to be expected. It's no different with the church. Anything done good for God, evil will come after us and we'll pay a cost. It cost Jesus something. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. It's going to cost us too. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, my friends, there's going to be trouble along life's journey. Living a life worthy of the gospel brings about persecution from time to time. Jesus is up front with us about this. For he says, following him, taking up your cross. Now, listen, he wasn't talking about the little cross that I carry in my pocket. He wasn't talking about the cross that wears around your neck. Yesterday, in the old sanctuary, we were stripping out and tearing down. As you know, we're getting ready to build new Sunday school classes in there. And if you've ever been in our old sanctuary, you know that in the center of the, the choir loft, there was a cross. And let me tell you, I found out yesterday how heavy that stinking cross was. As we unhooked it from the wall and began to carry it from one place to put it safely away so that we can then put it back up where we want to have it. We begin to talk about the metaphors that popped up about carrying your cross. That it's not easy. That, that Jesus suffered under the cross and we must suffer under the weight of the cross as well. 
You see, when we live for Christ, we got to carry our cross. He says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me every day. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's the cross where Jesus was nailed to. It's the cross where we must be willing to be nailed to and we must die for. Jesus said, my friends, we need to understand just as Jesus was crucified, we too must be willing to carry our cross. As the Philippians lived under the citizenship of Rome and the Roman world tried to get them to worship their gods, they would have to make a decision. Will we serve the gods of Rome or will we serve the God who came to save us from our sins? The one who was nailed to the tree. My friends, let me remind you, since the fall The world has been in rebellion against the things of God and we are no different today. We live in a time when the gospel is no longer welcomed, but it is opposed. But listen, it's a time when we need to share the gospel more importantly, more vibrantly, and and we we must be willing to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen, Paul says... For us, stand strong. Don't panic. Relax. Jesus is with you. Now here's what he means. A couple of things I want you to see. Don't live in fear of those who oppose you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Paul gives us a couple of good reasons why we should not live in fear of those who oppose us. Look at verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. The word terrified means to to be startled or to be panicked. It was used of a horse in the battlefield that was suddenly startled by the panic of the heat of a war. Paul is saying, don't be intimidated, don't panic. No fear, stand strong in the face of opposition, and here's why. Are you ready? You and I are on the winning team. I don't know about you, but I I cheated. I read the back of the book, and it says we win. We win. You see, the Bible says that, no, we may suffer for yet a little while, but yet we shall be victorious in Christ. He says there's coming a new heaven and a new earth where those who stand strong will reside. We not only win, but we're victorious. The second thing is not only are we on the winning team, he also reminds us your fearlessness is assigned to them. Look at what he says here in this verse in 28. Paul reminds us that we are to be fearless because it is a sign to those who oppose us, which to them is evident token of perdition. And I know that sounds weird, but let me just explain to you what it means. But for you, he says, it is salvation. He says, when that basketball team comes out on that court and, and, and with confidence and, and they say to the team, we're not afraid, we're here to win, we're going to beat you today. Paul says, listen, for the believer who stands strong, for the believer who, who says, I'm not afraid, I know who my victor is, I know where my victory is found. He says, for you, it is a sign unto them who oppose you. Those are are 
some of the, the most amazing things that we can experience. They're showing the other team, we're not afraid. We're not going down. And that's how Christians should be. When we face the opposition of the gospel, show no fear. For it's a sign unto them, the Bible says, that they shall be destroyed. That's what he means for that evident of perdition. Means that we're going to win and you're going to lose. We get to go to heaven and you're going to hell. Listen, we don't want no one to go to hell. Jesus didn't want anybody to go to hell. But listen, all who oppose him are going there. And we, standing confident in the gospel, can do that. One early Christian who was mocked by the Romans was asked this question, so what's your carpenter friend doing now? And the emboldened Christian simply said, making a coffin for you. Do not fear those who oppose you. You're on a winning team. Your fearlessness is a reminder to them that you win and they lose. And then don't live in fear of suffering for Christ. Paul gives us a couple of reasons why we shouldn't fear suffering for Christ. And the, probably the most important one that we got to hear today, so listen to me here, is that suffering for Christ is a gift of God's grace. You might say, what? You're nuts. No, it is. It's the evidence of God's grace upon our life. There are two things that we need to consider. First of all, suffering for Christ is that gift of God's grace. That may sound odd at first, but look at verse 29. For unto you it is a given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. In God's eyes, suffering is a gift from God. It is His grace that reminds us as believers we are in Him. Suffering is not a sign that God has abandoned us, but suffering is a sign that God is with us, that I trust you with the gospel. The disciples in the book of Acts rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. Think about that. Paul telling us that if we're going to live worthy of the gospel, it is God who counts us worthy to suffer for him. Jesus described the disciples as following him by taking up their cross. Taking up the cross means suffering for Christ. The Philippian believers were suffering for Christ, and Paul wanted them to understand that this was part of their Christian discipleship. Second, he says, you're not alone in your suffering in Christ. How many of us oftentimes think that nobody's going through what we're going through? How many of us oftentimes think that if if they only knew, if they could only imagine what I'm going through, if they could only walk in my shoes, can I just be honest? You're not going through anything that somebody else hasn't already went through. None of us go through this life alone. We're not alone in our suffering for Christ. Paul says, do not fear suffering for you're not alone. There are others who are suffering for Christ too. Look at verse 30 as he wraps this up. Having the same confidence which you saw in me and now here to be in me, I know you're suffering. You saw me suffer that way when I was there and yes, I know you're going through it. Paul had suffered persecution when he was in Philippi. 
And he knew the church was suffering persecution while they still remained in Philippi. He said, but listen, look at my life. Look at how even though my suffering, Christ has been glorified in it and through it. You're not alone. Let the Spirit of the Lord work through you. Let the evidence of others who have walked through with you. The Bible says again in 2 Timothy, Paul writing to young Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer some level of persecution. Others are suffering for Christ. So why should you and I be exempt? Remember, Paul says that we're partners in the gospel. Partners not only in the good things that come from the gospel, but partners in the suffering of the gospel as well. So we, we should expect to suffer. We should expect opposition. We need not only to, to, to have a, a whatever happens attitude, we need to develop a no fear attitude. As believers in Christ, we have no fear because we know who he is. And we know what he's done for us. And we know what he wants us to do for him. So let me close. I want to leave you a couple of applications today. First, if a church is going to stand in the times that are coming, church, if we're going to succeed, we must make the gospel our number one priority as individuals and as a church. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be something that every member must take to their community. Listen, folks, we no longer live in such a place where this church is planted in the midst of a community and anybody and everybody that comes comes from this one community. As I look out over our congregation, we are spread all over Ash County. And so what that means is that this church is going to have an influence not only here in West Jefferson, right here in our community, but all across Ash County because every one of you need to take the gospel back to your community and you must be willing to share it. The second thing that we must know is that we must work hard to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. Listen, my friends, listen. Opposition's coming, and there's an opportunity for us to either be splintered or connected. We have a choice to make. Either we work together, we hold on hand in hand, and we say we are one in the Spirit of the Lord, or else we will be splintered and broken like a ship among the rocks. It is time for us to recognize that we are one in the body of Christ. If we are to spend our time fighting each other over things that don't matter, we'll never be able to be united against the things that do matter. In Acts, we can see how God oftentimes used the persecution to build the new unity in the church. Persecution shouldn't push us apart. It should draw us together. When things are smooth, it's easy for the church to lose its focus. It's when the waters get rough that we start realizing we need to cry out to Christ. We need to hold on to one another. We need to trust in one spirit. And the third thing that we need to see is let us be bold in our Christian faith and our witness. All too often, all too often, we're willing to talk about the gospel here in this room. And then we're silent about it when we get out in the street. We're quiet 
We need to make noise. Now listen, I'm not telling you to be rude and disrespectful. In fact, I pray that you won't because being rude and disrespectful is a poor example of the gospel. But it's time that we no longer allow the Spirit of God to be intimidated by the things of this world. It's time that we stand up and speak out. It's time that we start living confidently in the word that God has given to us. Let us live out our life for Christ. So what does it mean to live worthy of the gospel? None of us are worthy. But it means that we are determined to live for Christ no matter what, to trust God at all times. We're to stand firm in the Holy Spirit of God that unites us together as one team for the gospel of Christ. And we cannot fear those who oppose us because we're on the winning team. And yes, we may suffer for Christ while we're here, but don't worry, others are suffering along with us. We're never in it alone. We've been promised. I will never leave you nor forsake you. My friends, it's time for us as a church to walk confidently in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been given unto us. It's time for us to stand up, to stand out, and to speak up. The Apostle Paul didn't know if life was going to turn one way or another, and we don't either. As the folks come to prepare to sing and lead us in our closing, I've watched the news. I've seen what's going on across the world, and I've seen the destruction and the devastation. And I have asked the question, Lord, how long before it comes to our shores? We don't know. We honestly don't know, but you know what? I'm not going to worry, for I'm going to trust the one who knows. I'm going to be the, 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 the one who says, I'm going to take the gospel to anybody and everybody, just so that somebody and hear the gospel. We must stand up, friends.